All right. Well, good morning, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to another podcast uh, from our great friends at ATARC. And this morning, we're here to chat a little bit with Jerry Karen of HHS. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning. Uh, so, Jerry, we'll get right into uh, some of the content here. But before we do that, uh, can you give us a little backdrop of your organization, kind of the, the mission, the stakeholders, perhaps some of the uniqueness? Um, size, scope, just all the typical vitals and and uh, relevant uh, insight? Sure. So I am the uh, Chief Information Officer slash Assistant Inspector General for Information Technology here at the Department of Health and Human Services, Office of the Inspector General. I believe we are the largest IG in the federal government. If I'm not mistaken, uh, we have about roughly around 1,900 user base. Um, <laughs> geographically, dis excuse me, geographically dispersed, uh, primarily domestically, lot, uh, here stationed within Washington, D.C. area. Then we have some regional sites and some branch offices uh, throughout the U.S. Uh, the purpose of the IG, of course, as any IG is uh, oversight of, of the agency uh, to be sure that, you know, the agency is performing in a manner that it's supposed to. Uh, we also do investigations and uh, against Medicare fraud, waste, and abuse, Medicaid fraud, waste, and abuse. As we have um, investigators, we have attorneys, we have the general auditors, you know, that do the audits of the programs of the agencies and its components. So um, a pretty large, pretty important mission that we have, of course, you know, healthcare, especially with COVID. Um, this past year, the mission's that much more important here for us. So, uh, especially Medicaid, Medicare um, as well. So, um, that's just a snippet of what we do. Um, I, as far as as the CIO for HHS OIG, uh, we run our wholly owned network. Uh, there is some separation, of course, due to the work that we do uh, from the uh, parent agency. So, we run wholly run our own network and manage our own data and assets and things like that. So, uh, and support, you know, the users and the public with, with our IT mission here. Our remote work population, pretty much we're all have the ability to re work remotely. Wow, I was gonna, tongue tied I was gonna today. Ask, I was gonna ask you that in terms yep. of prior to COVID, what was kind of the percentage of folks that teleworked? Uh, was it a one day a week, two day yeah. a week? So uh, I came, <laughs> yeah, so I arrived after um, I arrived during the pandemic times, um, I came um, on a detail around December and uh, officially um, was put in this position around the May timeframe. But from my understanding, it was very remote work, telework friendly uh, place. Um, but however, we're primarily teleworking, remote working now. We, so 100% we have the ability to, to do remote telework. Luckily, all of our things are in the cloud as far as email, files, you know, calendar, things like that. So that makes it much more easier. Um, so to support the mobile user, I have a few different mobile solutions that we use um, in order to support that. Uh, basically, you know, the premise is I have like a laptop, I carry it home with me and I'm able to use that laptop from my home network and, and get into the, the network and then I bring it into the office uh, where we have like Wi-Fi um, and it automatically connects because it recognizes on a managed network and it's a, a managed machine. 
So it's, it's pretty convenient in that way. Um, a lot of good success. Uh, I don't think the HHS OIG mission uh, this past year has even skipped the beat. Um, a lot of productivity has been had this past year. So yeah, we haven't missed a beat as far as supporting the mission. Yeah, it, it strikes me uh, when I look at and work with various federal agencies, the ones that were working in a telework fashion before the pandemic were largely able to continue without missing too much of a beat, to your point. Uh, it was just a matter of, okay, I don't have to get stuck on I-66 anymore. And um, <laughs> you know, I get some sanity back to my life instead of being in traffic. Um, yeah, but there's more meetings and you can't stop at the restroom on the way from one <laughs> conference room to the other. Now you gotta kind of build that in because everybody wants to have back-to-back -back meetings. Uh, one thing I will mention, you know, in regards to the remote work, you know, in my, in my past job, you know, supporting the infrastructure support, I think what some agencies, and I know we discovered there, you know, we'd have a project, you know, and we'd be talking about, you know, remote work, you know, administrators and things like that. You know, we'd never imagined our active directory administrators would be remoting, you know, with, with um, you know, high level credentials or things like that. That was multi-year projects that we were talking about, but we really learned what our risk tolerances were. Um, very quickly because we had to support that remote work capabilities and, you know, people with higher level credentials being able to remote in and, and do the work that they needed to do and things like that. So, um, you know, I've seen where, you know, there's a, there's a quick assessment in some of these situations where, yeah, you know what, this wasn't impossible, you know, this is possible. And, you know, um, quickly we're able to pivot to, to allow for remote work now tweaks along the way to harden that, but, um, you know, we really, I think a lot of people really learned what their true risk tolerances were in regards to remote work this past uh, couple of years. Certainly. And, and to that end, to the pivot, uh, can you describe a little bit more from a cybersecurity perspective, uh, you know, the things that you're able to share, uh, what you did do to kind of meet that mission, if you will, um, were there additional capacity uplifts that that you seemingly would have had to have done? Were there uh, additional investments into other tech? How did you kind of address the risk tolerance um, as it related to a combination, I suspect, of tech investment and then maybe some additional processes or uh, people kind of tweaks? Yeah, uh, you know, um, in, in my past job, you know, of course, bandwidth upgrades, you know, because now people are coming from different places um, making sure that we had the capacities, you know, for VPN, that the firewall had the capacity, things like that. So we did some upgrades there. Um, of course, there was a review of the cloud tenant that we were using. Uh, the, the SaaS were our email and files and, and things that everybody would primarily be working because we found, we, I, you know, 70%, that's, you know, primarily what they needed to function, you know, their email calendar and, and files and things like that and, and providing that capability and, um, uh, you know, in a BYOD fashion, in some in some cases, uh, we're able to provide it. So, really reviewing the cloud policies, making sure that we were, you know, um, definitely because you know, as we modernize to the cloud, we were we're changing the attack surface anyways. So, understanding what those policies were, what those capabilities were, were we properly monitoring? Did we understand how that monitoring was? You know, even though it was a SaaS environment, you know, that small percentage of what we were responsible for is, is utmost importance because FedRAMP means nothing if you don't get your piece right. Um, so very important um, to do those type of reviews. Um, but it was very successful. Same thing here. 
um, you know, few capacity upgrades uh, to accommodate, you know, people coming in from a different place. Um, you know, um, the deployment of, of laptops so everybody could be mo very mobile, um, you know, and, and, and form phones and things like that. And uh, very, very successful in those ways. Uh, very similar, uh, but on a much smaller scale. I'm used to, I come from an agency that was world distributed worldwide with 109,000 users to uh, 1900. So a little bit, little bit different, but IT is IT at the end of the day. So some of the same functionality and capabilities put in place, maybe at a little smaller scale in some cases, but similar, similar concepts. Uh, you mentioned mobile, uh, which is near and dear to my heart, obviously. And, <laughs> um, you know, from a practical sense, right, we always talk about mobile uh, yep. in, the, in the fashion of, hey, it's, it is the end point in many ways. The, the device in our pocket is a massive computer, um, if you really kind of break it down into what it's capable of, the functions it performs, the capability it offers, both professionally and then personally. Mm -hmm. um, can you share a little bit about uh, how your, call it day-to-day -day, uh, in life of how you transition from perhaps what we're doing now on a, on a laptop, although I, I do some of these uh, types of conversations on a tablet, but you know, you go from your laptop, maybe you're creating a document or, or doing something and then, oh, let me respond to this text message and, you know, go over here, right? And it's this constant ebb and flow in and out of your, your laptop and your your mobile device, but can you share a little bit of insight on how you kind of view that? Yeah, um, so I'm sure we'll get on the subject of zero trust. So a little sneak peek and a little bit of aspect to that. So, um, you know, there's the way I look at it is, first of all, we, we talk a lot about devices, but one of the things that I'm an advocate for is, is the application because it's actually the application on that device that is facilitating access to the data between the user you and the data, right? So harden the application. So if you're doing BYOD, you may be doing managed application. You may not be doing managed device. So are all the policies get to that application? Am I properly managing it, right? Do I have the ability to wipe it possibly? That application can't manage your phone. I can get some telemetry from your phone. Like are you what iOS level you're on, what your manufacturer is, because in the federal government, there's some manufacturers that we don't want to allow. Um, some telemetry, but I'm managing it application by policy, right? As soon as Jim registers his account with the agency, his work account, we're doing manage application service. The other, the other aspect is going to the device. So not all devices are created equal or um, in, some, in some instances, like this laptop is fully managed. I can put all kinds of great security agents on that. I, you can see absolutely every key I'm pushing, everything. I got some great telemetry with some great agents. A lot of people in the past have, you know, gone and done endpoint security and put all these great agents on computers. And sometimes we had to uninstall Office because we wanted to put so many agents on our computer, right? Um, and then, um, but when I go to the phone, a lot of times I can't put those same agents on my phone. So but I'm accessing the same data, like in your, in your scenario, I may be accessing the same file that I'm on my laptop that is fully managed. And then I'm trying, then I get on, on my phone. I don't have the same agents or the same telemetry necessarily. So what, what there is, is there's a different level of risk potentially, right? Depending on what I'm trying to access. Uh, so, 
you know, dependent on how I'm managing that phone, it can be a fully managed phone, but if I don't have all that telemetry, how can I weigh all the factors that I need to weigh to allow you, you know, if that's a, your health record, for instance, you know, I might not, you know, if I don't have the same telemetry and there's a greater risk on the phone, then I'll let you do it on the laptop, maybe not the phone. And in the BYOD situation, there's only so much telemetry I can have. Um, so, you know, there's another level of risk. So it's understanding what your risk tolerances are for these different things, depending on what you're able to do. Um, you know, in, in some cases there are some things, but it's it comes about, it, it ends up becoming about discussing the data, what type of data you access and, and based on the factors who you are, how did you authenticate, you know, was it username and password versus a PIV card? Well, PIV card's lower risk than a username and password, right? So there's a factor, um, you know, what type of user are you? Are you a government user? Are you a contractor employee? What type of clearance do you have after I'm able to proof you? All right, there's a different risk factor. Uh, are you coming from the coffee shop network? Are you coming from the on-prem? network where I have all kinds of telemetry and understand, all right, there's another risk factor. All right, what type of device? Is it a fully managed device? I have all these great security agents and telemetry, or is it your BYOD device? There's another risk factor. And those risk factors add up to that tolerance where if you are, you know, coming from the, the coffee shop on your BYOD device and trying to access a file, I may say, well, that meets the threshold. I'll let you read only, but I'm not going to let you download a print. But if you were on a fully managed desktop coming from a known network with a PIV card, blah, blah, blah. That's a lower risk. All right, yeah, have have access to this file. That's fine. Um, or, you know, even if it's a fully managed laptop or desktop and you're missing some zero day patches, I might quarantine you and until I can bring you back into compliance. I'm not gonna let you access anything until, you know, cause it meets, uh, it goes over that threshold that I just can't tolerate that. So I'm gonna have to quarantine you, take some kind of action kind of thing. So is it is it fair to say a lot of what you just described there in detail uh, kind of boils down to some terminology uh, I've seen or heard uh, conditional access right all those variables and factors that you described are largely conditions of yep. access and so if you to your point if you have met those conditions then sure you get access to the resource or the, the data that you're you're looking for access to. Um, as part of that, I call it, I call it, and that, that's correct, but I call it dynamic risk scoring too, because factors right. change as well, right? Right. So um, it's got to be very dynamic. Of course, you can't, you can't be a one-time event, right? So right. I'm an advocate for ongoing authentication, ongoing access. It can't be a linear event um, where it's got to be constantly checked because factors change. While Jim is accessing said file, a factor could change. One of those conditions is from the cloud, possibly. Jim just went from Washington, D.C. to China in the last five minutes. <laughs> he just, that's, that's, that's impossible, right? But boom, there's a conditional access policy that got tripped. I got to take some kind of action on that. That's um, right. So, that's right. One, yeah. of the, one of the, um, I think, accompanying uh, phrases that go in line with that that uh, we use uh, is device attestation. So. Uh, we could pivot. We could pivot now to one of your favorite topics, in that of zero trust. Um, one of the aspects of zero trust, of course, is, or the pillar, is devices. Um, and so, as an example, it's great that we know uh, Jerry is Jerry, and we've leveraged iCam in many respects in various flavors or fashions. So it's great that we know Jerry is Jerry. But if Jerry's personal device or G even GFE device um, is not 
checked for integrity, um, Jerry might be bringing a malicious payload right into the infrastructure. And so um, what are your thoughts around bringing all this together in terms of device attestation uh, as it relates to a condition, truly, if, if you're gonna declare zero trust, they go hand in hand, right? Because if I can declare, again, confidently that Jerry is Jerry, but I can't declare Jerry's device is, is sound and safe, do I really have zero trust? Does that make sense? No, no, it absolutely makes sense. And and I get asked this all the time about devices and you know, I the same concepts that we're using for the user, treat the device as 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 a as an identity basically, right? Um, is it a fully managed device? Does it have all the things that it's supposed to have that, you know, the patching, all of that? All right, there's there's a certain level of comfort in that in that aspect. If it's a BYOD device, like I said, is a policy getting to it? Can I verify that? Is it uh, a certain manufacturer that I don't want? Oh, I gotta shut that off. Treat it, treat it, you know, give it some kind of identity, just like you do your user. I can prove prove Jim, you know, I have some assurance because Jim came in with a PIV card. I have some good assurance, you know, that Jim is Jim. You know, um, same thing. I have my device, you know. Um, is it a managed device? Okay. Is it authenticated? All right. Now, does it have everything that it's supposed to have running on it? Uh, patching far as that blah, blah, blah. Okay. Then there's some good assurance that, all right, I've proved Jim. I proved the device, the managed device. It's good to go. I've checked it. It's got no zero day patches missing, blah, blah, blah. All right. I can marry those two up. Yes. Jim can access this data with this device under these factors. Um, and BYOD, you know, all right, Jim, you know, personally, you have not updated your iOS. You know, there's been two updates that the vendors given um, since, since the last, you know, you haven't updated your personal device. I'm not going to let you on. Um, you know, I can at least see that telemetry, even if I'm doing a managed application, um, not, not full device management. But, you know, I'm just not going to let you on, Jim, until you um, bring it up to the latest Android or, you know, iOS on, on that device before you can come on and access, read that file, but not download or print it maybe because, you know, it's a personal device. I'm going to have a little less tolerance for that. Um, so definitely, I kind of take the same concepts you take with an identity almost and, and apply it to a device um, because you got to think as well. And some people forget that it's, it's always people talk about this as the human accessing data, you know, and it's always, you know, the, the, the picture in your head is you get this guy sitting at a keyboard and accessing the static data somewhere. Data is moving all the time. And it's not always a human that's in, a, you know, um, triggering that access to data. You know, there's system to system sharing all the time. Those are identities, treat those identities the same as well. And, you know, those systems, you know, there's devices which those those identities sit on that are accessing that data and housing it. You know, treat it all kind of with the same concepts. I think that we with identity in some form or fashion. You had mentioned zero day, uh, one of my favorite uh, you know, <laughs> notions. And just recently, I think what two weeks ago, we all woke up in the morning to an emergency update, right? Yep. Uh, immediately update your iPhone. Uh, it's like, whoa, okay, uh, I'll do that right now. I, I, I slept in because I don't do I, I'm not an iPhone user. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. And, um, uh, you know, if I'm being candid, I didn't update because I've got Zimperium on my device. So I'm good to go. I, anyway, just a little plug there. Um, so all good, Apple. We're, we're, we're protected. Anyway, um, zero day is, is fundamentally something I think um, 
probably is not uh, addressed enough. Um, you know, a lot of the technologies in cyber are signature based uh, or require some type of previous understanding threat signature of, of sorts. Um, but when I look at the POTUS executive order, for example, and we talk about zero trust, and then there's a, there's a, a lot of attention paid to uh, visibility of the endpoints. Yep. Um, and most recently now, I think uh, just the other day, uh, one of the memorandums came out uh, specifically for EDR, and it does yep. include uh, mobile endpoints, phones, tablets, et cetera. Yep. Um, how do you look at incorporating, so, we've, so we know, understand that the focus has to be on visibility of the endpoints and, and, and getting that, but how do you address zero day? Because that's a tough one. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, I, I think when you get to a true zero trust maturity that it's kind of addressed because it's talking about protecting my data, right? So we're moving our protections closer to the data that's most important to us. And, you know, if um, something happens, I like to use the, the example and terrible example, but I talk about a bologna sandwich and crown jewels, right? Yeah, what do those two have to do anything? But I, I, you know. I'm, I'm at the edge of my seat on that one. <laughs> yeah. So crown jewels, I want to make. If I lose those, I, there's no replacing them, right? That that's that's very harmful. I'll I'll never get over that. But if my bologna sandwich gets compromised, yeah, I'm gonna try to protect it because I'm hungry. But there's plenty of bologna and bread in the world. I can remake my bologna sandwich. Now, do I care how they got in? Yeah. All right. I want to figure out how they stole it. But I want to. Can I answer like, okay, did my crown jewels? get compromised as well no they were still protected that's the question i want to answer at the end of the day all right i'll remake my bologna sandwich and see if i can you know just not leave it on the counter and, and leave it you know alone for a little bit because you know so i don't have to keep making remaking it but you know i'm gonna put my concentration most importantly on my crown jewels so when it comes to endpoint protection you know we, we've been doing endpoint protection in some form or fashion for a very long time. And, you know, I kind of think it kind of rolls in with the directive about logging as well, because there was a memorandum on the logging as well, right? Oh, and so, 2131, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yeah. exactly. Thank you. Yeah, I, I never remember all these. <laughs> so many. Um, so I, I think they almost go, to me, they go hand in hand, right? So they're talking about getting telemetry, endpoint device protections and things like that. And then they want you to keep a certain amount of logging and get mature at logging. Well, these endpoints are a huge factor and a huge pillar, right? Because as I said, also applications, which actually does the facilitation between the user and the data sits on these devices. So there's a layer, right? How can I protect applications? And then the type of device I got to put, there's another layer of what types of protections I can do I can put around those devices. Now there's managed, there's unmanaged, there's, you know, BYOD, you know, there's application management, all kinds of different ways we can do device management. So understanding, you know, and getting that telemetry is very important and, and understanding. So yeah, the endpoints is, is a very important thing, but it, you got to look at it in the bigger picture with all the other factors. When it comes to zero day, uh, it is hard because those are those are things that we don't know. But I think what's really important, you talked about, you know, um, signature based aspects, you know, you know, we, we've all used antiviruses and new definitions come out of the things that are known. Well, zero days aren't known. 
So I think a great thing um, when I do talk about zero trust is, is baselining. What does normal look like, right? Because if I don't know what normal looks like, how am I going to take an action? Um, now, now, that's hard. It's hard to baseline, especially, you know, um, in a huge geographically diverse locate, uh, environment, you know, something like that. It's hard to baseline. However, I think that's where machine learning and AI are really going to come into play and really help with zero trust um, to understand what that normal is looking like, understanding what those normal behaviors are of the users. And then, you know, once you start understanding that, when you do have a zero trust, uh, or not a zero trust, but a zero day um, kind of event that comes in, that's not normal all of a sudden. I got to do something. Something's not something's not right here. Um, so I think I really think you know one of the first steps to me in in getting ready to do zero trust is baselining. What the heck does normal look like as best you can? Sure. Um, so you know, all right. Now this is not normal, and now you're building your risk thresholds, right? All right. If this meets this certain threshold, what action do I want to take? All right. If it goes above that threshold, there's another threshold. All right. I'm taking another. Um, action or so. Um, a zero day, you know, I might take an immediate action. Jim, you're not coming on my network at all because, you know, something's not normal here. And until I figure it out, I'm going to quarantine you, bring you some, to some kind of compliance till I figure this out. Um, so I, I think I think we're, that's where AMI, machine learning and uh, artificial intelligence and these heuristics, these behavior-based technologies are really going to help, uh, help us with zero day. I couldn't agree more, actually, and it's something uh, foundational, uh, certainly at Zimperium. Um, I know we're coming up on a little bit of time, so I want to conclude. Already? Uh, this is too much fun. <laughs> uh, I, I agree. I, I can talk all day about it for sure. Um, but uh, I want to conclude, you know, kind of finishing out on zero trust. Um, yep. You know, for the audience who may not be aware, uh, ATARC uh, has spearheaded a um, industry and government, uh, you know, relationship where um, most recently there is a working group uh, that you now chair, if I'm understanding everything correctly in terms from the government perspective, and a wide swath of technology, cybersecurity uh, tech, uh, companies are now participating. Uh, would you like to share a little bit of insight on that, maybe some of the history as to how that came about? and some of the goals and objectives of the zero, uh, the ATARC Zero Trust Working Group. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm very proud of what this working group's accomplishing and, and what the next the next uh, milestone that we're, we're about to get involved in, which um, Imperium is the first out of the gate, but uh, before, I, <laughs> before I get there. Um, so yeah, so I chaired, um, previous, previous year, I chaired a uh, working group for ATARC called, uh, for TIC 3.0. Uh, we had about 10 vendors. Uh, we started out with understanding, you know, the, the capabilities and requirements of TIC 3.0, um, you know, mixed to government and vendors, uh, very good working group that resulted in an actionable thing where about 10 or so vendors came in and actually built proof of concepts um, in, in uh, you know, facilities provided by, by or uh, with cooperation through ATARC. And, or, you know, some of them, you know, were, were cloud only, and which was fine. We gave them an outline and then they all gave their own presentations based on the requirements that we gave them in the outline and the use cases and things like that. 
so we took the same kind of concept, you know, we wanted to start a zero trust working group. So we kind of took the same kind of thinking and successes of what we did with TIC 3.0, grandfathered everybody in. Um, and then, but of course, with zero trust, it's a little, we got a little larger. Um, and what we found is, you know, a lot of, a lot of through a lot of the discussions, the government um, folks that were participating, we just weren't on the same definition, right? So people were still trying to wrap their heads around this zero trust thing. Yeah, it's all about identity. It's like, oh God, no. Um, it's a lot more than that. Let, all right, let's level set. So I had an architecture. So we started with that, um, kind of presented that to the group. And then what we did is we took like some of the pillars, like we took data, we took identity, we took network, we took governance, we took automation. Uh, we took all of these little, um, you know, main pillars and we had sub working groups and they kind of worked on the concepts and the terminology and references and things like that. And what we would do is, in, at, so we split the vendors and the government. So every other week we were doing government meetings and then every other week we were doing vendors. And then what we would do is we would throw the output from the government as we kept working on our outputs, you know, and defining and, and, and things like that. We'd give those to the vendors so that they could start, you know, uh, socializing and engineering, thinking about what they would do um, and understanding and, you know, get on the same terminology and definition. So, you know, you know, this is at the end for the government. So, you know, we wanted to get on those level set terms. So once all of that was done, the government exhausted all the output that they, we think we needed to do, we recombined the groups. Now, the, the same objective is for the vendors, based on the information that we're providing, use cases, scenarios, things like that, is to provide proof of concept labs or demos uh, based on that to proof out you know, the cap their capabilities towards those use cases and things. So we give them an outline, very specific things that we're looking for in the outline so that the government or the, the people in attendance are getting all the same type of information and the same kind of, you know, you know, what does the architecture look like? So we use the tick use cases, you know, if I deploy your solution, what's the architecture look like, you know, for a geographically dispersed branch site with low latency, high bandwidth, for example, what, how do I deploy in that kind of situation? How do I deploy to a headquarters? So there's an architectural use cases. Then we have 12 use cases uh, that we want them to proof out. We have a capability, zero trust capabilities model um, where we're at saying, all right, here's all the zero trust functionality within all these seven pillars. What is exactly is it that you do, your primary functions that your solution does? All right, you don't, if you don't do it directly, where are your integration points with these other functional capabilities within this model? It may be a prerequisite where you, I have to provide an authentication solution to use your tool, or it may be I can provide, you know, more telemetry or more input or interact with that other functional capability to provide uh, risk telemetry, for instance, or, or some kind of trigger to another um, aspect or functionality to, to take an action or something, you know, those the couple kinds of integrations there. So what is it you're primarily doing and where do you integrate? So we have resulted in, uh, as of the last meeting, kind of the kickoff that we had last week with all the vendors participating, we have 54 vendors. Um, ready to build their proof of concepts and proof out their solutions based off the, those use cases and outline that we provided. Um, there's more to the outline, but I'm not going to go through all of it. Um, like I said, Zimperium is first out of the gate this Friday, uh, and and good luck. <laughs> you guys do fine. Uh, but but it's I think it's really exciting. It's really uh, man. It's it's I think it's going to have a lot of impact. 
um, you know, they're all being recorded. So it's not like if you don't make it live that um, people won't be able to see it because it is going to be recorded. Um, the vendors can provide supplemental videos too if they get additional use cases they want to show off or or some of the uh, other supplemental suggested use cases we have or, or kind of do more of a showcase that can't fit within a 75 minute demo because we do have to time it. We got so many uh, folks uh, participating. There will be a Q&A after um after the 75 minutes which is kind of flexible as well uh for those that are attending live but i you know to have this much participation this much collaboration this working group uh has been moving forward the whole time i don't think we've ever at any point since we started early in the year taken a step back too much um it's been kind of moving forward with great participation everybody on the same page um and to have this you know, 54 vendors, that's, I never would have imagined to have that much participation and, and that much. And it, that's going to be great value to the federal government, because like I said, I'm taking assessment of my capabilities and my investments that I already have against this capabilities model. And, you know, I have gaps. So, you know, I'm going to, you know, be able to see, oh, hey, in Zimperium, hey, they can fill one of my gaps that I have. Um, so, you know, we're providing great input for, for the government to use and understand um, and, and develop their playbooks for, for approaching zero trust. And then this platform for the vendors to, you know, the, you know, a one to many aspect, you know, present want to many people and not have to do, you know, all these individual engagements potentially to show, you know, the same demo um, it is a great thing. And it's based off what the government has defined. Right. Um, so it's a common understanding and, and not, you know, sitting there trying to think, all right, how would I use this in this environment or what's the use case? And, you know, it's common use cases, common definitions, common information that they'll be receiving. So I'm utterly excited to get to this point. It's, I think it's huge to get to this point and to have so many, many participating is awesome. Well, and I'll just say from an industry perspective, we certainly appreciate your extra effort because uh, you do have a day job, you know, and we all uh, understand and appreciate that. So, um, and I think ultimately the objective there throughout this industry and government collaboration is to inform, as you say, right, other government yep. agencies and entities, um, because it is, Zero Trust is such a vast strategy and topic, and there's no one tech, there's no one company that can possibly address every aspect of it. So bringing folks together, I think, you know, 54 is probably uh, just a start. There's probably many others that also have a, a role to play in it. So this is a great first step. And for the audience, if you do wanna learn more about what Jerry just took us through, um, I would just encourage you to visit the ATARC website, Zero Trust. Um, I think you'll find it there. Um, and all of the information as Jerry elaborated on will, will be posted, I suspect, uh, through ATARC. So with that, Jerry, uh, my sincere appreciation for your time this morning and, and taking us through uh, some great content. Um, and I would just, uh, again, thank you and thank the audience for tuning in. And with that, we'll turn it back over to uh, Kirsten at ATARC. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks, Jim.